a very good afternoon to you all. Uh, my name is Rich. Uh, I'm also one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to have you all with us on this fine and lovely day. Um, I'm sure it'll get warmer as the afternoon goes on, but yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to start. Um, Lord, I pray that this afternoon, um, Lord, that you would uh, use your word to pierce our hearts. Lord, I pray you would search us this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you would um, just come by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and just bring uh, things to mind. Lord, bring things um, to our heart, Lord, that cause us to grow um, in maturity and love for you. Lord, we, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, use your word this afternoon to speak into our hearts, into our minds, Lord, and into our situations. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, um, I wonder if you were going for a job interview um, and asked to have a look at your CV, um, I wonder whether what I would read would actually be a true reflection um, of your personality, your character. Um, I, I had a look at my CV, and I still have a paragraph in my CV that I wrote when I was about 17. Um, kind of over a decade later, it's not particularly relevant. But I think basically I just found some big words, used them in context, and thought... Wicked, let's go. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the point of a CV really is to try and um, articulate a representation of yourself. Um, unfortunately, mine doesn't, um, although I've not used it for years. Um, but I'm sure uh, if I asked to see your CV, it would probably list uh, a load of credentials. It would list achievements, um, successes, things that you were proud of, maybe your greatest traits or maybe your finest moments. Um, you'd never kind of include the negatives, would you, the bad stuff. Um, I mean, imagine if you did that kind of, yeah, I'm a really hard worker, but actually I just don't like people that much. Like, it just would read a little bit awkward and a little bit funny. Um, we always try and major on the good, don't we? Because in the CV we're trying to sell ourselves, because we're trying to talk ourselves up and we're trying to uh, sell something of who we are. We conveniently omit the bad bits, um, and uh, we often end up, uh, misrepresenting ourselves. I can remember when I first did my CV um, and I showed my mum uh, and my mum looked at it and went, well, is this really you? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, you've really done all of this stuff. And I was like, well, yeah. And she was like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, it, it just somehow didn't tally up with kind of who I was and what she was reading. And um, well, I, I don't know what happened there. Obviously, I was amazing. Um, that's not true. Um, but yeah, and, and today we're looking um, at the end of a series in Galatians, Galatians 6, and essentially Paul's writing um, to a bunch of people that, in all honesty, are ready to talk themselves up. They'll happily kind of play down or minimize the bad. In fact, they'll probably just neglect the bad bits and just talk up all of their greatest successes and their, their, their great attributes and what makes them brilliant and their greatest intellect and all of that. Um, and so we're going to be in the last chapter of Galatians uh, today, which is a letter kind of in the New Testament. Um, today's the final sermon in the series that we've been doing on Galatians, um, so we're coming right to the end. So there's been a lot that's gone on uh, in the previous weeks. Um, I'm not going to recite everything that they said, obviously, um, but I would recommend downloading the sermons. They're great listening, and they're really good, and some of the content in there is fantastic. Um, but I just want to set up a little bit of context to our passage and kind of where we arrive at um, in Galatians uh, chapter 6. Um, so Paul uh, is a Jewish guy. He's been traveling around. Um, he's shared the good news of Jesus um, with primarily um, non-Jews, what you might call Gentiles, um, in an area called Galatia. 
um, which is kind of modern-day, well, parts of modern-day Turkey. Um, and a lot of them have become Christians, um, and they've started to form churches as a result. Um, since then, kind of Paul's moved on. Um, if you read uh, something about Paul's life, he's a bit of a, a whistle-stop tour. He never really stays in one place. He's kind of always off somewhere new. And so he's moved on um, from uh, Galatia, and he's writing a letter back to uh, this part of the world. Since Paul has left, is uh, there's a lot of Christians move up whether they're traveling or left, um, and, and it appears in some of the early parts of the letter that since uh, Paul's left. Now, here's a whole lot of that will help you walk with God. Why don't you observe the law? Why don't you, um, you know, take these days out for holidays um, and things like that? Why don't you um, get circumcised? These are all good practices and will help you be uh, better Christians. And basically what Paul's doing is he's writing back um, to these churches and he's saying, no, 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 no. Paul says, it's great that you've become Christians and that's it. He's saying, actually, all of these practices and all this other Jewish stuff that's starting to infiltrate the churches, he says, all been superseded by Jesus. And by when you believed in Jesus and trusted in his death on the cross, that was sufficient. That actually all this other practices and all this other stuff um, is, 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 is just a part of tradition um, that actually it doesn't make you any more or less a Christian. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to illustrate this a little bit further um, to try and understand a little bit kind of the context that, that, that Paul's kind of writing this letter into. So I, I need three volunteers if I can. I can see you're a very... Yes, go Debs, come on. That still leaves two more, yeah? Go on, Max, I know. Another one? Yes, go on, Andy. Great. All right. So here, here are our three lovely volunteers. Fantastic. Um, Debs, why don't, you, why don't you jump up on the very top step? Debs is, Debs is going to represent God for us. Thanks, Debs. <laughs> Brilliant. You okay with that? Sweet. You're lucky it's not you, isn't it, Gordon? Gordon's a little afraid of heights, but so am I. So anyway. Um, all right. And then we have our two lovely volunteers here. Um, now, Mac and Andy, if you want to come and stand over here, you can, you can come over as well. Andy. Go on. Okay. Now, Mac's going to represent um, the Jews, um, and Andy's going to represent the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Okay, those that aren't part of. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So in the beginning, um, what happened was the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody in the world, when God created the world, um, they were all in perfect relationship. So if you two want to well, get as close to the top step as possible, this is going to be interesting. You've got to be on the top step. I mean, So they start in a perfect relationship somewhere near the top step. While they, while they, figure, it, while they figure it out, we're going to carry on. Classic. Did you sign any health and safety thing? No, you're going to be... Okay, all right. But what happened was, in the beginning, um, 
these people, uh, creation, humans, decided to go their own way. And so they disobeyed God. So all of a sudden that relationship that was perfectly um, unique in what it was, all of a sudden became broken. And so if the people, so Andy and Mac, if you want to jump down onto the floor, and all of a sudden this relationship that they have with God is now um, is now broken, so they're, they're separated from God. Um, however, God, uh, being perfect in and of himself, wanted a relationship with people. He wanted a relationship with um, humans, you and me. And so what he did was, uh, I can't remember which of you was a Jew. I'm a Jew. Max, a Jew. Um, and so God decided that he would choose a nation to, to come into relationship with him, himself. Um, so, Max, if you want to jump back up on the stage... Mactuno has been called into a relationship with God. Um, and we call this a covenant where God makes promises to his people. And so, well, not quite that high. You want to be on the stage? Not quite on the steps. Not quite on the steps just yet. Okay. So Max now um, some, in, in a covenant with God. Um, and then God says, well, you know, we want to, we want to walk in relationship with one another. And so what he does um, is he gives them certain rules and certain regulations to live by. And so Mac, as he fulfills those things, as, as we read in the kind of Old Testament way back, as he obeys the law, then he can take a step up. Nice. As he, as he gets circumcised on the eighth day, he'd take another step up. <laughs> Cheers for the visuals, Mac. <laughs> as he, <laughs> As he observes other holidays and religious festivals and things, he'd take another step up. It's getting close. The problem is, Mactono can never actually get to the top step because he can never live a perfect life. And what that eventually does is at some point he makes a mistake. And we read this throughout the entire Old Testament. That it's constantly mistake after mistake. And so Mactono, or rather the Jewish people, would come down steps um, because they're, they're, God says, I've called you into a relationship with me. Now this law, now the, all these practices is how you maintain this relationship with me. Let's continue in that. And the Jewish people never did. And so they stay in the covenant. Um, and now God wanted a people to be close. He wanted a relationship with people. And so what he did was he sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus to, to, to make a way so that now... The Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, can now be in a relationship with God. And so what's happened is, all of a sudden, by sending Jesus into the world, now Andy here is going to represent the Gentiles, he calls the Gentiles straight from the floor, bypassing the promise of the Jews, straight to the top step, into perfect relationship with him. Let's go on, Andy. All the way. Okay, so now we have an interesting cultural dilemma. <laughs> Not just because they're precariously at the top of the steps, but because now the Jews who are still in the covenant, still in the promises, are now dissatisfied because they can see people have gone all the way to the top in relationship with Jesus. And so what we see is these Jews in particular have, have come from Jerusalem and they say, no, to, 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 to really walk with God, you have to observe the law. So all of a sudden, Andy, who's at the top in a perfect relationship with God, Mactuno, who's one of these Jews from Jerusalem, says, now you've got to come down, come down from there, become a Jew, and then start to walk in the practices. That's how you have a relationship with God. Yeah, go on. And so what Mactuno is trying to do as a Jew is bring Andy into kind of all the Jewish customs, all the Jewish traditions, and that's what's happening here. Thank you, guys.
And so we have this kind of really like tense kind of cultural dilemma that's going on where all of a sudden these Gentiles, these non-Jews, have almost somehow bypassed um, some, something of the promises and actually come straight into a relationship with God without having to do any of the practices, without having to observe any of the cultural traditions or anything like that. Um, and so that a promise that was initially made to the Jews, the non-Jews have now been brought into. You see, with that tension in mind, we're going to turn to Galatians 6. We're going to read verses 1 to 18. It should come up. But there we go. Woo-hoo. All right. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 18. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Transgression just means sin or wrongdoing, the disobedience that we talked about right at the start. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then verse 11, see what, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in that order that they may, be present, perse- may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Okay, we're going to break this down into uh, three, well, manageable chunks. Um, First of all, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to look at 6 to 10, um, and then finally 11 to 18. I've got a phrase for you, um, kind of like a tagline, if you like, that will help you remember today's sermon. Um, it's, it, it uses all C's, which is nice. Um, it's covenant community living as a new creation. Covenant community living as a new creation. So there you are. Those are three C's. I know some of you appreciate the alliteration. Um, as we work through, we'll look at each of, each of those things individually. Um, so for the first two sections, we see that Paul gives us a sentence and then basically expounds on that through the next couple of verses. So let's have a look at verses 1 to 5. Um, so we're looking at the part of the covenant here, um, which is promises, as we saw earlier. Um, Paul has already written extensively why these false teachers are wrong in the, in the earlier parts of the book. 
Um, and as he starts to near the end of the letter, he's beginning to give practical instruction of how to handle people who might have been affected by this false teaching. Um, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that just means sin or wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You see, his aim is to help those who've been affected by this doctrine of false teaching and to try and see them restored. The question is, restored to what? What, did they, what were they in before that they need to be restored to? Um, well, the answer, as you might expect, is the covenant, the promises that have been made, the covenant relationship that they had with God. So just as Andy was taken down the steps, he needs to be restored into that covenant relationship with God. Um, in, this, in this letter, Paul is essentially emphasizing two ways of having a relationship with God. Um, right the way throughout Galatians, we see this. Um, and uh, the first type is contractual relationship. It's essentially a relationship that's formed around a contract. Now, in business, or if, if you have a job, um, you will have signed an employment contract. If you ever rented a property, you would have signed um, a tenancy agreement, which is essentially a contract um, it stipulates kind of the, the expectations and the boundaries um, that you have around, if, if it's a property, then about renting that place. You know, whether you can smoke, have pets, knock down walls, remodel the garden, whatever. It basically articulates everything you can and can't do in that property. It means that you go in with your eyes open. It's all about um, getting things right from the outset. And then we work out a relationship from there. Um, and second of all is a covenantal relationship. A covenantal relationship is based on promises. It's based on promises that you make. It's much more like a marriage than necessarily a contract. Um, so Tanika, my wife and I, when we got married, we didn't sign any sort of contract before we got married. I know a lot of people sometimes do these days, and I think it's a shame. Um, but, but, but we didn't sign anything before we got married, well, other than the legal papers. But to be honest, like, like in the context of marriage, what was significant was the promises that we made to each other, the vows that we made on our wedding day, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. You see, regardless um, of circumstances, I'm saying that I'm committed to you. And there, there, there's feeling there, there's passion, there's, there's something about me that, that wants to give myself to her. Um, you see, a contract by, kind of defends your rights. It sets out the boundaries, the limits, and, and it defends your rights, whereas a covenant automatic, kind of reverses on its head. A contract says, well, what can I get? What, what's in it for me? Whereas a covenant says, what's it, what can I bring to this? What can I give? What can I, what can I do to benefit you? Um, so when talk, Paul talks about uh, restoring someone in, um, from sin, he's talking about returning them to a covenant relationship with God. A relationship with God is not contractual. It's not defined by boundaries and rules. Um, it was for the Jews. They had to observe certain practices. They had to walk in a certain way and so walk with God. But actually, as, as, as Christians, we're brought into a relationship with God, not based on rules and regulations. We're brought in based on a promise. It's a covenantal relationship. Um, in, in this first verse, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not easy to restore somebody um, and to do it with the spirit of gentleness. Um, as an elder, I occasionally have to um, work with people in terms of restoring them and helping them, um, whether, you know, whether it's by correction or teaching, um, sometimes even discipline, and it's tough. But the reality is if you love people, then you're doing it for their good. 
Your son not doing it for selfish motives. It's a covenant relationship. You're doing it for their good. And that's what we see here. Um, it's actually there, there's something you know, where, of empathy in there where you're actually identifying, wanting to see somebody restored to a right relationship with God. You see, you're not starting to hit people with the Bible and just tell them what they should do. Actually, you're looking to work with them and walk with them. You want to restore them and not crush them. And the reality is that as you work with people to reevaluate their relationship with God, um, in a spirit of gentleness, they can even uh, be in that act, as we go on to in verse 2, um, a temptation to see it as kind of like a spiritual notch. See, oh, well, look, this person's... Rest- Look, look at what I've done. You know, I, I've discipled this person and now look, they're flourishing. And there can be almost like this, this game where you're trying to play points um, and see if you can uh, keep, keep up. And so we read, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul says these, those opportunities to restore people, they're not points in the bag for you. Um, it's actually our delight that as we live in covenant with each other and with God, it's actually our delight to see people carry out um, the, what Jesus commanded right back in Matthew 22. Uh, where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's covenant relationship. It's giving yourself to other people. And just in case you weren't sure, Paul leaves us no room for hesitation. He goes on, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's It's deception. If you, if you think of yourself more high, if you think of yourself as being, having, you know, well done, that's, that's, that's another point on the thing, that's another tick on the checklist, you're just deceiving yourself. Um, uh, so a little bit of personal testimony. Um, I know this temptation only too well, kind of. Um, so it's, it's been great for me to take a month out of church. So for the month of June, um, I, was, I was away um, from church responsibilities, which was lovely. Um, and one of the main things that, that really struck out to me about that month was it, is it afforded me the opportunity just to reflect um, and look back on um, some of the things that I've been involved with and, and some of the stuff that's going on and all of that. And it just affords you an opportunity to just stop, take stock, and just say, okay, what's going on? Where are we going? Things like that. And as I did that, um, I was surprised, really. Um, I think most importantly for me... Um, it was the area of the church finances. So I've, I've worked, um, I've overseen the church finances for a long time. Um, and the temptation for me in that situation has often been to think of myself as indispensable. If, if, if I go, then everything goes belly up. And that, that can oft- that's a very real temptation. That You can often place a lot of kind of hope and security that actually kind of are, I'm holding this thing together. And actually that's quite, that's quite easy to do. Um, but actually, even to take a month out means I down tools, so I haven't done any of that. And yet we're all still here, right? One or two of us are still here. <laughs> but yeah, like, like yeah, the thing hasn't fallen apart. It just helps you reevaluate and, re- and, and recognize that actually anything I thought I brought to the table, it, it, it's kind of, it doesn't really add up to anything. Um, you know, if I thought I was something when I'm nothing, then I, then I just deceived myself. And then we move on. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. 
The, the, the word for boast here might seem a little bit out of context to think, you know, Paul's talking about not boasting yourself and then all of a sudden saying, um, if anyone has, uh, where are we? then his reason to boast would be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Well, the, boast, the word for boast here actually uh, could also mean rejoice. So we're talking about rejoicing in, in victories, rejoicing in successes. So rather than thinking of it in the conventional sense of boasting, it's a slightly different uh, spin on it. Um, and, uh, Paul, and essentially what Paul's doing is he's meaning to narrow their concerns. So he's, he, he's meaning to kind of get people's eyes off each other and start to search your own heart and, and, and search your own soul and see whether, you know, see how your life stacks up, see how, how God's working in your life. Um, and you see, when restoring people in particular, right, right at the beginning of uh, this passage, it can be so easy to start picking faults with other people. And you start to spot things that, that people are doing. You think that's not good or alarm bells there. Um, and actually, instead of looking at the state of our own hearts, we start to look at the state of everybody else's heart. And actually, God calls us to look at our own heart and then finishes by saying, for each will have to bear his own load. We're going to have to stand before God and give an account for our life. I won't have to do it for somebody else. Regardless of if I've restored them, I'm going to have to give an account for my own. And so I have to bear my own load. And so what he's saying is don't be preoccupied with other people's business. Don't be preoccupied by, you know, focusing on other people's faults. Obviously help people, work with them, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. But don't let that be your preoccupation. Um, and so it's based on promises that God has made to us. And promises that we make to God as we say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in on this covenant relationship. Um, and I'm really going for it. And I want to pursue you and follow you. So moving on, verses 6 to 10. Um, so we've looked at the covenant. We're now looking at community. So covenant community, 6 to 10. Um, Paul uh, here highlights the necessity of community. The first verse, let the one who has taught the word share all things with the one who teaches. By definition, if you're sharing, it involves more than one person. Um, in this case, it involves one who is taught um, and one who teaches. The one who is taught, the pupil, um, should be the one that shares with the one who teaches. Um, the question is, shares what? All good things. So what are these good things? Well, there's some deliberation um, over what these good things actually are, but it's largely believed that these are material things. So if you see somebody that's teaching and is in need, there should, be, there should be something in you that rises to give and to bless and to serve. Basically, what, what Paul's saying is you can't live in isolation from one another. You need each other. It's a community thing that we're doing. Um, and so do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For wherever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And Paul illustrates quite powerfully for us here the, the pattern of sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, reap corruption. But sow to the spirit, reap eternal life. And here we see a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh being our bodies, our wants and our desires. Um, it's primarily selfish and the spirit uh, where if you're a believer, then God has come to abide or live in you by his spirit. And if you sow to the spirit, um, then you reap eternal life. You see, all of a sudden, you aren't giving in to your desires, but actually you're giving out to God and to others. There's a, there's a shift of emphasis 
Um, giving yourself leads to corruption, but giving out leads to eternal life. And moving on. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. It's important to note that as Christians, where we have opportunity, we do good. That's it. That's the rule. <laughs> That's the principle. Um, where we see a need, we meet it. Where, where, where we see people in trouble, we help. Um, there's a principle here that our priority should be to Christians, though. Which means, actually, as we live in community with one another and we see need, they, that, that's a priority there. As, as, as we live with one another as brothers and sisters and we see a need or we see someone in trouble or, or, or stuck with something, that's where we help. That's where we invest. That's where we give our time. But you see, in order for this to happen, we've got to live in an open and honest community. It's no good me helping somebody if they don't want my help or helping if they don't need my help. And so, so we must be honest and open with each other um, in terms of sharing our pains, sharing our struggles, um, and allow others to, to come in and help, support, um, and bear us up at times. Um, it's important not to have too, too wide a group. You don't want to be kind of drawing on everybody, but actually in, in terms of having just a few close people that know you intimately, that know your struggles, know your pains, and can walk with you and help you and support you when necessary. It's incredibly valuable. It's what we're called to. Um, I know this quite well. Uh, so some time ago, um, Tanika wasn't particularly well, um, and she, she, had a, she had a few days off work um, because of it. Um, and I'm self-employed, so I already have work booked in. Um, now, I felt a little bit bad leaving the house because basically like, she, she struggled to even get up and get a drink out of the fridge, um, let alone try and feed herself or anything. Um, but even in those moments, we had some very dear friends um, who just came and just spent the day with Tanika. And they just cooked for her. They, you know, they did whatever they needed to do to help her and help me. And it blessed us tremendously. You know, now, I don't even know if everybody in the room actually knew that Tanika was ill. It's not the point. We had a close community of friends that we knew and trusted that we allowed in to come and bless us at a time when we needed it. And so uh, that's really kind of the pattern that Paul is talking about here. Paul calls us to live as a covenant community, and not based on rules or regulations, but based on love for one another, allowing those that we trust to speak in and often do things that we can't. And that's hard often to admit, that sometimes we have limits and we can't do everything, but allowing others to come in and help us where, where we struggle there. Okay, and so moving on. Verses 11 to 18, we're looking at living as new creations. So we're a covenant community living as new creations. I don't want to spend too long um, on, on these last, last few verses, um, but I do want to, to focus in on chapter, uh, verses 14 um, and 15. Um, in, light, in light of everything that I've talked about over the last uh, 10 verses, if we read through those final verses, uh, we'll start to see some of those recurring themes, just as Paul reaffirms um, a lot of what he's been saying. But I just want to focus in on uh, verses 14 and 15. This entire letter has been written by Paul into a situation uh, where people have become Christians and they've known what it is to live in an open, honest covenant community together with each other and with God. But these false preachers, these false teachers have come in um, and they've added all sorts of things. Um, and the big one for Paul that he comes back to time and again is this, this 
issue of circumcision. It's a very visual demonstration of being identified with the Jewish nation. Um, Paul says that all these other things, the rules, the regulations, the circumcision, the aim of them is not necessarily to walk with God, but to demonstrate, to quote verse 3, that he is something. To list their credentials, to boast in their successes, their piety, and prove how good they can be, how deserving they are of eternal life. The problem is, if, if this was a disease that was confined to the churches in Galatia, um, then you know, it would be a done deal, but unfortunately it's not. It's, it's spread much wider than that, and through the centuries it's been passed down to us. And I'd just like us to pause for a minute and just think on those things that we can be tempted to, 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 to see as great achievements. Those things that we can be tempted to kind of fix our eyes on and say, yeah, if I, if I had to remember one fact, that's it. If I remember one thing about my life, it would be that. That might be, it might be your job. Might be the status, the feeling that you get from your job. Um, it might be um, a flat. Uh, it might be children. Maybe even the number of friends that you have. You're socially active, um, very active. Some people. Um, or it could be a little bit more nuanced than that. It could be maybe it's your humour. Maybe it's a character trait. You particularly, I'm hardworking. I'm diligent. Or, or um, maybe it's more spiritual. You pray for five hours a day. Or maybe you've read the Bible back to front and upside down. You know, these are all things that we can be tempted to kind of fix our eyes on. And if we just think on that for a minute, this is what Paul says of his boast in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. He's like, to be honest, whatever that thing is, he said it pales into insignificance compared to boasting in Jesus and his work on the cross. He says it's irrelevant. He, he said it's negligible compared to Jesus Christ. And so Paul's only boast is in the cross. And now, as people, we've got a problem. Historically, we've, we've got a problem. As Christians, we've come into this relationship, but as a people, um, it, it's called uh, sin. It's called uh, our disobedience, our wrongdoing. Just as at the beginning, where Andy and Mac were right at the top of the stairs, and they came all the way down because that relationship had been severed. And people, through their works and their successes and their goals and their dreams and much like the Jewish people they try and work their way back into a relationship with God um, but unfortunately it doesn't work the end result of that is eventually failure and death because none of us can be perfect we want to be in that perfect relationship with God because God is perfect and yet none of us are perfect so we can never attain to that but God had a plan in that he sent Jesus into the world to live as a man and to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death. But if Jesus was perfect, why did he have to die? Because that, that doesn't really make much sense. Because if, if, if imperfection, so if our sin, our wrongdoing, meant death, and Jesus was perfect, why did he then have to die? But the reason is he didn't. He didn't have to die. Um, but actually, Jesus was crucified in our place. And it says that um, he made an exchange, so his perfect life was given for our disobedience. 
And he took on that sin, that wrongdoing, that disobedience on the cross, and it killed him. And the death that we deserved, he paid. And so Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so Paul says, there's nothing the world can offer me. There's nothing. Paul says, it's dead to me. I'm done with it. He says, I can't and I won't do it on my own. I need God. I need Jesus' sacrifice to pay my sin. And as we die to the world, by accepting the exchange of Jesus' life for our disobedience, we say the same thing as Paul. And in that same breath, we become a new creation. We're brought into um, a new relationship with God. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship, a covenant relationship with God. And all that struggling and striving to be good, trying to do better, it counts for nothing. We're living, we're not living by rules and regulations, boasting our successes. We're living as a covenant community, um, living as new creations. That's who we are. We're a covenant community living as new creations. God's transformed our hearts. And how does he transform us? It's by his grace. It's a free gift. You didn't deserve it. You didn't, none of us deserved it. None of us earned it. It's not, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like there were secret rules or there was a shortcut. God just, God just gave it to us. God just gave us new life. By trusting in Jesus' death on the cross for our wrongdoing, he gives us eternal life. It's incredible. I wonder if Andy, I wonder if he could come back up. Why don't we stand together? I've just got a couple of um, groups of people that I just felt like God would want to speak to. Um, so I'm just going to share what I felt God gave me, uh, kind of build up to this. Um, uh, I just feel like there's certain people that have never got out of their heads this idea of a contract relationship with God where kind of you, you do something and God gives back and you do this and it comes back and, and it's kind of this, 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 this idea that you can almost play God at his own game um, and I just really feel God would want to challenge you um, and I, I feel second of all there's some people that maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God um, I feel that first category of people um, feel like you, you were Christians but it, it's almost like you've Things have got clouded. Things have got um, tricky. You, you just haven't quite grasped something of God's grace, something of God's free gift of eternal life that, 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 in, order, that, that in order for you to grow and mature in Christ. Um, and, and just the second group, I just feel like if you're not a Christian here, I would just, I would just say, please, please, look, look into the claims of Jesus. Look into the claims of Jesus. His death on the cross paid for your debt, paid for your sin, for your wrongdoing. Um, if you want to speak with anybody, there's going to be some guys from the pastoral team. and um, These are guys that we know and trust. Um, they're going to be at the back. They're going to have lanyards that say here to pray. Um, I just really want to encourage you to seek those guys out. Be honest. Be open with them. We, we, we trust them as, as elders, as leaders in the church here. We trust them to, to work with you, to stand with you. Um, and, and to pray with you and see you come to maturity and see you restored into right relationship with God and all of that. Um, so I just want to encourage you to um, just seek those guys out. 
Um, and if you would like to become a Christian, then please go and see those guys as well. Um, again, they would love to pray with you. I'm going to be at the back uh, with one of those on, so please do come and find us. Um, I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to take bread and wine. And this is something we like to do in community here. Um, the, bread, the bread and the wine represents Jesus' body broken for us and his blood spilt for us. Um, and the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so as we drink that blood, we remember Jesus' death on the cross, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And so, you know, please do uh, go with somebody. Uh, do that. Let's do that in community. We're meant to be a covenant community. We're meant to love one another, prefer one another, bear one another up, support one another, help one another. Um, so let's, let's do that as we take the bread and the wine. Um, and please don't, please don't uh, forget to speak to those guys on the pastoral team. Um, they'd love to pray with you. I'm going to pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your miracle of new creation, Lord, that you've worked in our hearts. Lord, thank you that you have called us into a relationship with you. Lord, thank you that it's not, Lord, thank you that we don't have to try and do anything or attain anything. But Lord, it's a gift freely given by your grace. Lord, we just say that we receive it afresh this afternoon. Lord, as we look on your, 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 Lord, just your sacrifice that you made. Lord, we're in awe of you once again. Lord, and we just, Lord, we just love you. Lord, we just say that we love you. Lord, there is no one like you. Lord, there's no one, uh, Lord, that would even dare to possibly die on our behalf, and yet you did. Lord, you went to the cross and you died on our behalf. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for all of the new creation, Lord, the new birth, Lord, the life that it brings. Lord, as you pour your life into us. Thank you, Jesus.